21. All right, as we continue our look at Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, we move forward to chapter 6. So we notch down one more chapter. We finished chapter 5, and now we're moving on to chapter 6. And so this morning, I'm just warning you, you'll see it in the slides that I have. So in the middle of this text we're looking at is the Lord's Prayer. And so we're not actually going to go through the Lord's Prayer today. But Jesus makes three statements uh, in this particular passage about the type of righteousness that he wants and the devotion that he wants us to have. Um, and it surrounds uh, the Lord's Prayer, or the disciples' prayer, the pattern for prayer. So kingdom heart matters, an audience of one. As we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is trying to create a people who aren't conforming to the world around them. Meaning you're different than the world. Remember last week I made that point, and you may have been like, gee, he said that again. Is it, you know, are you any different than the world? Could somebody actually accuse you of being a Christian, or do you act like just, just like everybody else? And Jesus tells us as well in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, then you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, the Pharisees are the most spiritual people around. And so the thought among the people have been, well, no, I can't, I can't meet or exceed the Pharisees' righteousness. And Jesus says, they can't meet God's righteousness. As a matter of fact, they fall pitifully short. And so do you. You need a new heart. And that new heart can only come from the new birth by placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. It's being born again. And we're born again, God gives us a new heart. It begins to transform that heart. And we begin to shine like lights. We're salt and light. So we finished kind of the salt and light theme. We had to stop because the tree covered up the poster, right? It means we had to move on. But today we're looking at an audience of one. That as we seek to live differently than the world, then we have to put aside this addiction to approval. Like we, we want approval from everybody around us. We don't look good in front of other people. We want to feel good about ourselves because other people think highly of us. And Jesus says, I want you to live to an audience of one. And that audience is God. You have an audience worthy. You have one audience, that's God, worthy of our sincere devotion. The one who sees, hears, and knows you. I changed it from we to you, and I didn't change the hour, which is plural. So you can change that if you're taking notes. There's one audience, God and he's worthy of your sincere devotion. He sees you, he hears you, and he knows you. So let's look at the text, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It is the opposite. Left, right, sorry about that. You know, it's funny, when I'm up here and I'm like doing this and that, and I get confused, and I'm like, oh, I'm confusing them because I said this was this a while ago, and I'm over here. <laughs> All right, left and right. So that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. 
Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, He will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Be different. Don't be like the world. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Okay, we're going to go from 8 to 16. Okay, Remember I told you we're going to skip the Lord's Prayer. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You have an audience of one worthy of your sincere devotion, the God who sees, hears, and knows you. Friends, we all struggle with approval. It, it, is, it is addictive. And Jesus wants to set us free from that so that we seek only the approval of our Father in heaven. As we consider the text, I think it's important to understand to begin with, right? Jesus mentions three things. He mentions, he mentions giving, he mentions praying, and he mentions fasting, all right? And every religion in the world has devotional practices, right? So you may or may not be familiar with Hinduism, um, but they have many, many practices. They have many, many gods, right? Um, they have fire rituals. I kind of like to see that just to see what goes on there. But they also have fasting. They have chanting. That would be their form of praying. And they have giving. So they have the three that Jesus is talking about. And then there's Islam. We're so familiar with this, Right? Uh, Salat, which is the prayers five times a day, Zakat, which is giving, and then fasting. Uh, I can't remember, Sham, I think is what it's called. I just butchered it, but fasting would be during the month of Ramadan, okay? Uh, you, you fast and you pray. So, Islam, they have some of the same things, right? And, and Islam really, there's no surprise, right? Because Islam really is a weird offshoot of, of Christianity and, and Judaism. Um, it's just kind of. It's the way it is, and so they do have some of the same things uh, that we have. So we have these three different components, right? And Jesus mentions those, right? He says, when you give to the needy. Now, the word giving to the needy, um, at its very root, would be like acts of mercy. So it could be any good thing that you would do for, for anybody, any, any good deed. But from that root or other words, and, and really it really gets to almsgiving, um, giving to the poor, and so that's the first devotional um, component there. The second one is praying, right? And most of you are familiar with prayer. Uh, prayer is us communicating to, communicating to God our, our needs, right? We address God with praise, thanksgiving, adoration, confession, and supplication. And then in verse 16, he mentions the, the thing about fasting. And I, I try to avoid any concept of fasting because I like to eat. But here it is, it's fasting. Uh, we'll talk about it more in just a minute. But fasting is really is to abstain from food. People talk about fasting from different things. You know, I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna take a fast from Facebook. I'm like, oh God, fast from Instagram. I'm really good at that one. Okay, I'm gonna take a fast from, uh, you know, whatever activity. Um, but really, it's abstaining from food for a period of time. And again, we'll look at this more in depth uh, when we get to chapter nine of Matthew. So there's three different devotional practices that are there. But Jesus wants our devotional practices to glorify God. Right? The thing about religion is it turns into religiosity, right? 
people who are in particular religions, they like to look good in front of the, of the people. And, and what they're doing becomes directed to other people, not directed to God. And Jesus wants us to worship him and to be devoted to him sincerely, to be devoted to our Father in heaven, the audience of one, right? Because Jesus says in verse 1, he says, be careful, watch out, be on guard. Because of the nature of your heart, you have a propensity towards wanting to please others and look good in front of others and get their approval. Don't do that. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, if you do, you're not going to get your reward from your Father in heaven. And so we'll talk about the issue of rewards later on. But this to me is a little bit of a conundrum, right? Because earlier on um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So as there's this element where, okay, you don't want others to know that you're doing what you're doing so that you can focus on God and you can direct your devotion towards Him. But Jesus says, hey, let your good deeds shine for the world so they can see that. And bring glory to your Father in heaven. So in either case, God is, is the goal. The glory of God is the goal. In one instance, Jesus says, be private about it. In another instance, Jesus says, let your light shine. So that is a little bit of a conundrum, but I, I think we can work through that. John Stott, one commentator, says this. It is our human cowardice which made Jesus say, let your light shine before men. Jesus wants us to be different than the world. Well, if I'm different than the world, the world's going to look at me funny. They're going to look at me like I'm kind of a strange, peculiar person, you know, some kind of a weirdo because I profess faith in Christ and I'm doing certain things. What are they going to think about me? Jesus says, no, let your light shine. Matthew 5, 16. Our human vanity, which made us tell us, I'm sorry, <clears throat> let your light shine before men. And our human vanity, which made him tell us to beware of practicing our piety before men. John Stock, he quotes Bruce here, he sums it up well when he, he writes that we are to show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. Show when you're tempted to hide it and hide when you're tempted to show it off. Well, that seems simple, but because of the nature of our heart, it is more difficult than it seems. Because the problem is, is that sin seeks to redirect our efforts from the approval of God towards the approval of others. If you have a pulse, you struggle with this. I'm going to say it again. If you have a pulse, you struggle with wanting the approval of others. And it bleeds into our devotion of God and the practice of our faith. So you'd say, well, it's not all about me, but mostly. It is. Right? We struggle with, we think about ourselves all the time, right? We're really good at thinking about ourselves, really good at loving ourselves. We looked at that last week. But here's the thing about God. God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory or my praise to idols. And so what God is saying, when you do something, it should be for the praise of my name. It should be for my praise because 
I created you. I sustain you. I give you life. I called you into new life in Christ. I've given you my commands. It's about me. Don't make it about you. You might say, well, God sounds like some kind of a overbearing, cosmic, you know, ogre. Trying to make it all about him. Well, John Piper is pretty good on this subject. I have a quote for him. But basically, the premise is this. God has created us in such a way that when we devote ourselves to what he's called us to devote ourselves to, when we direct it to him, towards him, for his glory, we get the greatest satisfaction, the greatest joy, and the greatest fulfillment. Because that's the way God has created us. So when God says, I'll not yield my glory to another... A part of that is that, look, I've created you in such a way that when you bring me glory, your sin nature may say something to the contrary, but when you bring me glory, you are going to have the highest joy and the highest satisfaction. So, since that's the case, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Everything is directed towards God. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, let us never forget this. The Christian at one and the same time, is to be attracting attention to himself and yet not attempting to attract attention to himself. So it seems a little bit of a a contradiction. But I think Storm says it well when he says, we ask this question, am I acting like a mirror reflecting back all the glory to God? Or am I acting like a sponge absorbing all the attention and adulation to myself? Is your life about God and what others think about God? Or is your life about you and what other people think about you? That's the question that you have to wrestle with. Who are you trying to draw attention to? Because God is not happy with religious hypocrisy. So be careful, Jesus says. Don't do it. Guard against it. So we have to talk about the issue of hypocrisy. And we're all hypocrites, friends. We're all hypocrites. Every one of us. Gene Wilder. This, this picture of Gene Wilder has gotten so much mileage in memes. It's incredible. There's probably at least a thousand memes, right? Uh, with, with this picture, right? So here, Gene Wilder supposedly says, So you're saying I'm a judgmental hypocrite. How very non-judgmentally hypocritical of you. Right? <laughs> Just... All of us are hypocrites. What what is the main accusation that people outside the church lodge against the church? I don't want to be a part of a church. I don't go to church. You know why? Because they're a bunch of hypocrites. That's why they're a bunch of hypocrites. And I agree with this. The church is not full of hypocrites. There's always room for more. Where should hypocrites be? And the hypocrites in church, and they're confessing their hypocrisy, and they're crying out for forgiveness for their hypocrisy, and they're trying to do better. That's a good thing. So you're better off if you're a hypocrite and you stay away from other hypocrites who are trying to do better. Well, none of us should be hypocrites. And I was so convicted over this as I was studying. So convicted. So convicted. Like I've mentioned before from the pulpit, right? So I stand up here and preach, right? And what am I thinking? What are you guys thinking about me while I'm preaching? Do you think highly of me while I preach? Because because really this is about me. This is not about preaching God's word and, and honoring God with this. 
That's the kind of person I am on the inside sometimes. Like, literally, I'm thinking, like, what are you thinking about me? All of us struggle with hypocrisy in different levels, different areas. And it's probably most profane when it's in the area of being devoted to God. So what is a hypocrite? Most of you probably know, but let's just review this, okay? Because if you're like me, sometimes you forget certain aspects of things. A hypocrite is a person who believes, who professes beliefs and opinions that he or she does not hold in order to conceal his or her real feelings or motives. Right, so most of us think of hypocrite is, okay, like you do one thing, you say one thing, and yet you're doing another when you're not around people that you said the one thing to, right? It's like, you kind of get that, right? It's like two-faced. Like the, the picture is, I have a picture of a mask of an actor, right? The word hypocrite comes from the, the, the Greek word for an actor. Somebody who would put on a mask. And you think they're one way, but they take the mask off and really they're another way. Right? Who's experienced this with COVID, right? I've worked around people, it's just recently it's happened, that like for three years, I didn't know what their face looked like. And I had a picture in my mind what their face looked like. They've been wearing a mask for three years. In healthcare, it's really been that way because in the nursing home, some people, they say, refuse to walk into the nursing home without a mask on. And I've never seen them without a mask. The other day, I was at the, the Hamtramck Street Festival. I, was, I guess it was back in September, right? And I walk up to somebody, and they don't have their mask on. I was like, holy smokes, I had no idea that's what you looked like. But sometimes we hear that about somebody's actions, right? Holy smokes, I had no idea that person would ever act that way. The second part of this definition, any person who puts on a false display of virtue. And that's what Jesus is dealing with here right now. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. They say all the right things. They have all the right practices. But it's not for me. It's so that they can look good in front of other people and have an elevated standing among God's people. So why are we that way? What, what is it that causes this hypocrisy? Right? So let's use the command to love. Let the command to love other people. Right? From this love flow the good deeds that we do for other people, whether it's giving or doing for somebody. Right? So this cerebrally, it's a picture of a brain. Right? We have this command that's given to us to love other people. And what happens in our mind goes through our heart. Our heart is our warehouse for our desires. Right? So mentally we think something and it goes through our heart and it interacts with our desires. And from that, flow our actions. Right? Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. The problem is this, is that our heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? And so as we seek to obey the commands of God, and this command to love would involve doing things for other people, our heart gets, is twisted, it's sinful, and it redirects things back to ourselves. It becomes about us. I don't think that concept is too hard to work out. What God wants is for it to be directed towards Him. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. And so the hypocrite is the one, okay, the hypocrite is the one who is seeking self first and foremost. When you're a hypocrite, it's all about you. What do they think about me? I want them to think this about me at this time, so I'm going to say this and I'm going to do these things so that they think that this about me. 
And you go away and you do something totally different. Oh, this is for God. This, what I'm doing right now is all for God. I'm serving you. I'm giving you this. I'm taking I'm doing this. But really, I want other people to know that I do good things and they think highly of me. So the problem is hypocrisy. Jesus doesn't like it. God doesn't like it. So when you give to the needy, Jesus says, do not announce it with trumpets. As the hypocrites do. Why do they do it? Look in the green. To be honored by others, right? So this concept of giving. Right? And what do, what do they mean by announce it with trumpets? Some people say it was, okay, well, in the, in the temple area where you gave, the, the urn that you put the money in was shaped like a trumpet, and so don't go up there and throw your money around and put it in there. That's one commentator. Most of them land on what we would think it would land, where it land. Don't blow your own trumpet. Don't announce it when you're going to give to people. Don't announce your good deeds as the hypocrites do. Right? In our culture, I was trying to think, where does this happen? Like, when do we do this? And again, social media, there's so many good, beautiful things that you can do with it. But in Christian circles, one of the things, one of the areas that I've seen that it's, it's not good is people going on mission trips, they come to Hamtramck, you know, and all of a sudden on Facebook, there's all these photo ops with the Yemeni kids, right? I'm like, what's that for? Uh-huh. Here's me driving so-and-so to get so-and-so because they don't have any food and they need to be taken care of. And here, let's look at each other. Yeah, picture. Announcing to the world, look what I've done. And then what happens? After you post it, what are you doing? You're looking for likes. Who liked this? To be honored by others. And Jesus says, no, that's what hypocrites do. And when you do that, you've received your reward. Moving forward to the issue of prayer, right? He says, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, right? So in the Jewish milieu of life, there were certain times of day that they were supposed to pray. And it it has been written that some people would make sure at that time of prayer, a person would would organize their existence so that they're standing in a very busy area. Oh, it's the time to pray, so you need to pray right now. And they'd stand up and they would start praying in front of everybody. And it wasn't just a short prayer, right? It was a long-winded prayer. It was babbling. It was carrying on. He just says, don't, don't do that to be seen by men. We're going to talk more about prayer when we get to the Lord's Prayer. But we've all been around people that like to hear themselves talk in the midst of prayer. Okay, and, and sometimes it can be sincere, I guess. But sometimes it's very hard to swallow. And you begin to wonder about their motivations. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. And then down in verse 16 about fasting, he says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Literally, it's a play on the words. Uh, in the Greek, it's like, don't be so disfigured that people don't recognize you. And then they ask, isn't that so-and-so? They look so disfigured. They must be fasting. It's kind of the way it's written. Jesus says, no. When you're performing your acts of devotion to God, don't let people know what you're doing. Keep it to yourself. Be devoted to God, not the approval of others. Because when you do it to the approval of others, you are a hypocrite. And what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 23? He goes to this list of, 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 list of accusations or list of complaints about the Pharisees. 
He calls them hypocrites again and again and again. And he says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of bones and dead, and everything is unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and weakness and wickedness. John Piper says, Jesus calls them hypocrites because they're praying and fasting. They want to appear as if they treasure God. In fact, they treasure the praise of men. Friends, the church is full of hypocrites. The church is full of people wanting the approval of others in every facet of church life. It's a constant struggle that people have. I want people to notice me. When I do this, people don't notice me. If people would just take notice of what I do, I want people to appreciate me. I want people to value what I do for the church. I'm doing this for Jesus, for crying out loud. How come nobody can see what I'm doing for Jesus? It's all hypocrisy. Because you're making it about yourself, not about Jesus. And you're getting your reward when you do that. Plummer, a commentator, says this. He says, when people, when hypocrites seek the approval of others... They receive their pay then and there. And they receive it in full. God owes them nothing. They were not giving, but buying, right? I'm doing these things because I'm buying the approval of others. I'm praying with you now because I want you to approve me. I'm giving this to you now because I want you to think highly of me. I'm exercising in this fasting guy because I'm trying to twist your arm and I want other people to know that I've reached a level of spirituality where I fast. They wanted the praise of men. They paid for it and they've got it. The transaction is ended and they claim nothing more. So just as Plummer says here, Jesus tells us, when we perform acts of righteousness, seeking the approval of others, that is our reward. That's what you want, that's what you get. And that's it. Jesus says, look, truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. That truly is, this is truth, mark it down, put a tattoo on your arm so everybody can see it. You've got your reward. That's it. be overwhelming, right? Because we're all hypocrites. Okay, so I say, okay, I give, I give, I give. You got me, Jay, I'm there. Well, I've got myself here too, guys. I'm preaching to myself. So to avoid hypocrisy, seek God's approval above all. Live for an audience of one. You know, God cares about your devotion. God cares about what you're doing for him. It doesn't escape God that you're seeking Him in prayer. It doesn't escape God that you're sacrificing to give to others. It doesn't, first, it doesn't escape God that, that, that you have been foregoing certain activities in your life so that you can pray. God sees that. God knows that. God hears that. And Jesus lets us know that, right? Look at this in verse 4. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret... 
he will reward you. You know what faith is? Faith is believing that God is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11, 6. That God is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. God sees what's done in secret and he will reward you. Look in verse 6. Your father sees what is done in secret and he will reward you. Verse 8. Your father knows what you need when you come to him in prayer. You're not all of a sudden surprising God. You don't have to scream loud. You don't have to say it a lot of times. You don't have to get all emotional. You don't have to hold your hands in a certain way. Although in my studying, I've been finding out that the, the normal posture for prayer is this. It's kind of the normal posture of prayer. My kids, we used to talk about this. So why don't we put our hands together and close our eyes like this? Because otherwise you'd be grabbing your food and staring at your brothers and sisters, right? <laughs> Nothing wrong with having your eyes up while you're praying. And sometimes we think if we get emotional, God hears us better, right? Friends, you know why God hears you? The only reason God hears you is because His Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for your sins. And through his blood, a new and living way has been opened and you can enter into the presence of God. And it's only because of that that God will ever hear you. It doesn't matter how you hold your hands, how many words you say, how theologically sound you are. We're going to see during the Lord's Prayer, it's good to pray for the right things. But you know what? Your father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows what you need. And lastly, he sees you He sees what's done in secret and he will reward you. So here we have again that that, that discussion of rewards. That God will reward us when we are sincerely devoted to him. When we focus on his glory and not our glory and our receiving approval from others. There's plenty of places in scriptures that talk about reward. Sometimes people think it's a little too like base or earthly to talk about the fact that God rewards us for our spiritual activities. But scripture is replete with examples of God rewarding us for doing what he's called us to do. Now 1 Corinthians 3 is talking about Paul and his church planning ministry. And what people that came after him were doing, okay, I get that. But the principle is still the same. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, cost of stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, judgment, that bar will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Why do you do what you do? Do you do it for the approval of others? If you do it for the approval of others, you've received your reward. You've bought that reward. If you do it for the approval of God and nobody ever sees what you've done, one day you will be rewarded for that. In 2 Corinthians, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us will what? Receive what is due. The things done in the body, whether good or bad. Now friends, We stand before Christ. Your sin was judged on Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. This is not a judgment of, you know, your sins. Have you placed your faith in Christ or not? This is a judgment of your faithfulness to Christ and your life as you follow Christ. Your reward. 
When we live for an audience of one, we have and will receive a reward. The reward really is being with God. It's being with God. Your Father who sees you will reward you. Your Father who sees you will reward you. Your Father who sees you will reward you. Earlier on in chapter 5, in the Beatitudes, we talk about rewards. You guys probably don't remember that. In the Beatitudes, Jesus gives specific rewards for those who come to faith in Christ and who are following him, living differently than the world. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Reward. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Reward. Blessed are the meek, for they, will should inherit, they shall inherit the earth. Reward. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Reward. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Reward. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Reward. And that is the highest reward. It's being in the presence of God. Because God sees, God hears, God knows, and he desires sincere devotion. God who sees you, who hears you and knows you, he desires sincere devotion. Why? Listen, look at the bottom part of that. Because he knows that will satisfy our desires. That's what we want, right? Anytime we seek approval from other people, we are wanting to satisfy a longing within us. And God says, no, that's empty. That is empty. That, that, you'll have to keep coming back to that well. There's no way that that will ever satisfy you. So let's work through that as we look at the points to ponder as we close up. One, I feel like I am stuck on an approval treadmill. I am addicted. In every sphere of my life, I'm just concerned about what people think about me. I want their approval. I want to feel good about myself because of the way they feel about me. I'm addicted to it. I've got to have it. Right? We saw the cause of that. Right? It's the heart. And the heart is where our desires are. So if we're going to overcome that, we have to have our desires transform. And only Jesus can transform our desires. In Jeremiah, as Jeremiah wrote to a people who were seeking the approval of others, and they had turned to idolatry to get what they want, he says this, Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares my Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, the only one who can satisfy, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So cistern is something that holds water. And Jesus says, look, you are seeking from other people what only I am supposed to give you. You are seeking for satisfaction and what only I am supposed to give you. Where you're going for approval, that's drinking from dirty water. Don't do it. Jesus says, come to me. I am the only living water. Only in him we will never have thirst. Only when we crave Christ and the approval of the God-man will our bondage for the craving of mere human approval be broken. It's only when we dive into the water of Christ and we take in the water of Christ, when we surround ourselves with the water of Christ, and when we drink the water of Christ, will our addiction to the approval of others be broken. Well, how do we do that? 
How do we develop uh, an unquenchable desire for Christ in such a way that only he satisfies, right? Because it sounds good, right? I'm reading John Piper on this topic, and you're like, John Piper, you read it, he sounds so good, it sounds so deep. This guy who wrote this quote is actually writing about what John Piper said. Who's approved of the Ukraine? And here's the thing, it's, it's so simple, it makes you mad. It's so simple, it can be, it can be angry. But we need to hear it anyway. How, how can I develop this craving for Christ that, that surpasses my craving for the approval of others? Friends, this is where I live, okay? I tell you. I'm with you on this. All right. Well, if the heart is the issue, again, again, the heart's the issue. How about Pray. Go into your room, go into your closet, get by yourself, stand however you want, get on your knees, fall on your face, however you want to do it, I don't care. I do them all, all right? When I'm in my office, my kids don't know this, but I have all kinds of positions, right? Pray. God, create in me a clean heart. God, my heart is so wicked. I don't know why it is. When I want to do something good for you, you've commanded me to love, and I want to love that person, and I go out to do what I'm supposed to do, and all I can think about is, is what are they going to think about me? Do they appreciate this? God, created me a clean heart. Take away that filthy desire, that addiction for approval. God, give me an undivided heart. Right? It's like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing, isn't it? It's like one minute you're like real spiritual and it's all groovy, it's all aesthetic. It's like, yeah, this is good, man. I read God's word, I'm into this. I'm going, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to serve, I'm going to do this. And all of a sudden, that person didn't talk to me. I needed them to talk to me. Because there's this spot that it's only sued if they talk to me. And they tell me good things. And read God's word. It should say, read God's word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right? That's simple. Pray and read God's word. Fill yourself with Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Saturate your mind with Christ. Christ is the living word. But as you serve in the church, you may say, it's so hard to keep serving when nobody notices what I'm doing. Sometimes I just want to give up. All right, guys, remember, God sees, God knows, God hears, okay? So when I make this kind of statement in my head, okay, this is, this is from my autobiography right here, okay? Right here, it's me. What am I forgetting? It's about God. Jay, it's not about you. And thank goodness it's not about you, Jay, because it'd be a pathetic existence that we have. Hebrews chapter 6, I go to this verse often. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. 
God notices. He doesn't forget. And he promises to reward you, right? We talked about in the first service about the fact that God always keeps his promises. And we talked about Jesus Christ returning. And he returns. Guess what? You're going to get a reward. Just as sure as I'm standing here and I'm preaching the word of God, Jesus Christ is going to return. And there will be a reward time. For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with angels, and then He will reward each person for what they have done. Sometimes we feel like we just don't have. And you know, I, I get Father, I, God, I, I'd get noticed if I was more talented. If I was like so and so, then people would notice me. Like if I had this gift and this ability, if I had this experience, then. God, then people would notice me. Remember Jesus in the parable of talents. Well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because you've been faithful with a few things. You've been faithful with just a little bit. So, friends, take that little bit that God's given you. Devote yourself to God. Make that little bit all about God and His glory, not you and your self-approval. And guess what? There is a time coming in the future, when God will put you in charge of many things. And guess what? At that time, you won't struggle with that approval addiction. Right? Because it's going to be in the kingdom. Amen? All right. You have one audience worthy of sincere devotion. One. That's one. The God who sees, the God who hears, the God who knows, and he will reward you. May God transform our hearts and free us from the addiction of approval. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing a song together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word this morning. Thank you for Jesus. He's just so bold and raw uh, in his declarations. I thank you that he is so willing to love us by calling us hypocrites so that we will change God, I pray right now, if there are any in this audience who struggle with approval like I do, I pray that you would free them from that. Father, work in all of us that we would bring you glory through our actions, through our devotion. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.